Thank you so much for joining us at UCC this morning. My name is uh, Pastor Roger. I am the lead pastor here, and I am a little ill. Um, I've, I'm fully medicated, so I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to say this morning because I'm not quite sure myself. It's going to be fun. And if I pass out or throw, out, throw up, you'll never forget it. Um, so that'll be good. For those of you in the front row, a couple rows, hope you brought some aprons. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go on here. So we're wrapping up a series we started uh, literally six weeks ago uh, on Galatians. And uh, this morning I'm going to do a bit of an elongated recap because I need to take you from where we started to where Paul is going to end us today. Because everything that, that we've been talking about, we've been hearing about is really for a purpose and a plan. And, and Paul in Galatians chapter 6 is going to finally wrap it up for us. And it's kind of important that we do that. Let's recap what we talked about last week. Remember last week in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says this, It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Remember we talked about how Paul is talking about freedom, but not freedom to do whatever we want, freedom to choose to love God. Right? Uh, freedom to be able to kind of find ourselves in the very midst of what God's presence would be. Um, and then Paul says then, we talk about this yoke of slavery, right? It's interesting that this word yoke, we talked about it. We said there's two applications of the word yoke. We said one is an unhealthy one, but one is a healthy one, right? The unhealthy one is when we yoke ourselves to slavery of sin, of, of addictions, of things that we should not be, relationships we should not be. Paul uses this idea of yoke of slavery when he talks about a Christian and a non-Christian. He's like, how does that, how does that work out? Because one person is of the Spirit and one person isn't of the Spirit, so how does that make sense to you, right? But he says, then there is a yoke. And Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what he's saying is my teaching, when you, when you take my way of looking at this world, it, you, it protects you. I, I've said this before at UCC and, and other places, and I'll say it again. Even if there was no God, I'd still be a Christian. Nothing else makes sense. Nothing else makes sense. Right? As far as being monogamous with my wife, being uh, a father to my children, to be a, bro- a brother to my sister, like just to be a better person, it's Christianity. It, 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 and so even if you said to me, I, I've proven beyond a shadow of doubt there is no God, I'd be like, I'll still, I'll still follow Jesus. Because it just makes the most amount of sense. We talked about um, these two individuals and we talked about the law. Right? Galatians has been all about the law. Paul has been trying to teach us to understand the place of the law in our lives. But then Paul brings it to chapter 5 and says, By the way, those who are governed by the Spirit need no law. Right? We talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And you've heard about the fruit of the Spirit. I could probably, some of you could probably sing me a song about the fruit of the Spirit, right? But the thing is this Paul is saying, The man, the woman that is governed by the Spirit doesn't need the law. Right? This person, this individual, when you, are, uh, when you are being led by the Spirit, when you are following after the Spirit, you don't need the law, right? And that's what he wants us to understand, right? Is that he's been talking about the law in chapter 3, chapter 4, and he's been telling us how to understand the law, right? But he says, listen, if you have the Spirit, if you're pursuing the Holy Spirit and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak into your lives, you don't need the law because you are actually applying yourselves to a higher metric, a higher standard of what God wants for you. And that's the Holy Spirit. Uh, we wrapped up with looking at Ephesians uh, 4, and it says this, but that isn't what you learn about Christ. 
since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust, deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Right? Paul is constantly going to be talking, and we're going to look at it this morning, this transition between your old self and your new self. See, when you encounter Jesus, whenever it is that you've encountered Jesus, there is meant to be a transformation. The video that we saw there was by a rap artist, Christian rap artist, by the name of Lecrae. And many of you know who Lecrae was or is, but his testimony of coming from a, his old lifestyle. But there's that moment you heard him say this, that he goes to the conference, he has this understanding that he needs Jesus, but it doesn't, for lack of a better word, take. It doesn't stick. There's still something that's necessary. And that car accident was what finally made him understand he needs God. That's like us, right? We can, we can pursue God in a kind of a haphazard way. Uh, I love Sarah's testimony this morning, right? Yeah, I, I, there is a God, but you know, I wasn't really pursuing after God. And that's all of us. We can all say the same thing that, yeah, there is a God, but it, doesn't, it hasn't quite penetrated the different layers of my life. And Paul is going to really, and this morning, as we dig deep into, into chapter 6, you're going to really see this, that Paul's going to talk about what we reap and what we sow, our old self and our new self, and the transition between the two. So, as we wrap up this series, let me give you a couple of things to kind of um, help you to understand uh, Galatians and why I, I kind of approached it the way I did. The first thing is the Bible is all connected. What I mean by that is that when you realize that the Bible is written over a couple thousand years by multiple authors, the thematics, the, the theme of the Bible interweaves itself through chapter after chapter, book after book. Because in, this, in, in Galatians, we've gone back in the Old Testament and we've seen how Paul is gathering. He's trying to help us to understand how the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, weaves its way into the New Covenant. Sometimes, uh, and I get, I get various texts or phone calls from people saying, I don't understand this. And why would God do that, Right. And what you're doing is, and this is very dangerous as, as, as a Christian, is when you look at one aspect of the Bible but ignore the rest of it, you are becoming too focused on one aspect of the Bible. And so what you need to understand is, the, is, is God has, in every way possible, kept the Word of God, the Bible, to be true, and he's, he's, he's kept it so that it flows. One of the things that just convinces me that only a supernatural being is behind the Bible is because when you think about how many uh, hundreds and um, how many thousands of years it covers, it all fits. There's a pattern. There's, there's, everything is, is put together. Next week, we start our new series uh, on Easter called The Lamb of God. I'm really excited about it. Next week, just to give you a little uh, teaser, we're looking at the hist- a brief history of sin next week. And uh, it, it's, I'm, I'm so, as I've gone back to the Old Testament and I'm seeing how Easter is connected to all of this, it's like, wow, God, there's nothing haphazard about you. Like sometimes I think we look at the Bible going, oh, that's a nice coincidence. It's not a coincidence. God has his plan. He has a purpose and he's taking humanity there. So the Bible is all connected. Um, themes are developed and expanded on at different parts of the Bible. So when you look at the Old Testament, there's parts of it that make you uncomfortable, makes me uncomfortable. You're like, I don't, I don't understand. Right? I don't understand. Right? But what God is trying to do is he's trying to help us to understand long form. Right? We have this way of looking at the Bible and saying, okay, I get this chapter, I get this verse, but God is looking at humanity over thousands of years. And he's saying, this is how I'm going to teach you. Like, like God is the ultimate uh, teacher in the sense of like he's, he's going to use life after life to help, him, help us understand um, 
um, how the Bible talks about people, how it talks about holiness and sin and righteousness, all these things, right? And finally, the Bible, there is a tension of simplicity and complexity that exists throughout. When we kind of recap what we've talked about with Galatians, some of you have said to me that I didn't realize there was so much there. The Bible is, a, is such a unique document because, you know, somebody who is never has never uh, known anything about God, can pick it up and read it, and there's something about it that's attractional to them. But what I love about the Bible is uh, men and women who have been Christ followers for many years can still go back to it and find something, right? Remember I've said to you that the Bible is the only book that reads you as you read it. Like how many times have you read a verse or heard a verse or a chapter, and all of a sudden, like, leapt off the page and, and like, slapped, like, wow, that's for me, right? It's kind of like the pop-up Bible. It's like, wow, boom. Or it's like, okay, I, I've read that verse many times before, but it's never applied itself like that. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what he does, is he wants to take the Bible and apply it to our lives. And by the way, UCC pop-up Bible, this is going to happen. We're going to make this happen one of these days, so we'll see. Now, what I want to do this morning is before I kind of conclude the series, I want to look back because I want to make sure that you see Paul and what he's trying to do here, right? Paul is trained as a lawyer, and so what you have to do is you have to kind of weave your way through his, the, the, the chapters of Galatians to understand where he's trying to take you, the, the reader, to where he wants you to go, right? So remember we started off this entire series looking at Acts chapter 15. Now remember I said to you that Acts chapter 15, you had to understand this chapter before you understand Galatians because we know historically Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia after Acts 15. Now remember, Acts 15 was the Council of Jerusalem. And the council of Jerusalem was this. What do we do with Gentiles? Right? What do we do with non-Jewish people? They don't understand the dietary laws. They don't understand covenantal law. They don't understand all these things. They don't understand circumcision. What do we do with them? Right? So the council of Jerusalem was making a decision for us, the Gentiles. How do they understand God? How do they understand holiness, right? I remember we looked at this thing called the halakha. And I've said that word way too often, but I kind of like it, right? Remember James, the brother of Jesus, stands up at the end of Acts 15 and says, listen, this is what Gentiles need to do. And he lays out four rules for the Gentiles. And what it really is trying to do is it takes all of the law and it kind of condenses down into four ways of understanding, right? The four requirements James uh, bound upon the Gentiles are the halakha, based upon the commands found in the Mosaic law. In Hebrew, halakha literally means the path one walks. Each of these commandments was based on ancient requirements found in the law of Moses for a stranger who desired to live among the tribes of Israel. So what James was trying to do is saying, listen, Gentiles, we love you. We don't want you to have to go through all this stuff. That's not for you. But it doesn't mean you get to live whichever way you want to as well. Right? The middle path. Right? So, so James says, listen, if you follow these four rules, and we looked at the four rules, and we said these four rules are really actually um, condensed ways of understanding the law, that if you as Gentiles follow these four rules, idolatry, sexual purity, these type of things, that that's the halakha for you. That's the middle path, right? That's the path that you have to walk. And so that's what James talks about there and, and how he kind of looks at it. And that was Acts chapter 15. Now let's jump into Galatians chapter 1. And this is where we talked about the gospel. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called to live you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Remember, in Galatians, Paul starts off by saying this. Why are you leaving the gospel? What have you found that's better than the gospel? 
right? And we talked about this uh, last time. I said, in order for the gospel to be good news, you have to understand the bad news. The bad news is this. Before you met Jesus, you were lost. And I understand that even by saying that, maybe people here this morning are like, well, I haven't met Jesus. Do you think, am I lost? And my response to you in the most loving, compassionate way is absolutely. Right? We need Jesus. We need, we need what he has to offer us, the gospel, the truth, how he lives, right? We are lost. We are sinners. We are, we are not um, bound for heaven. All these things, right? The bad news. In order for the good news to be good news, you have to understand the bad news. And that's what Paul starts off with. He says, why are you abandoning the gospel? What have you found that's better than the gospel? What is it that you've, you've seen in your lives that's better than the gospel? He's like, there's nothing better than Jesus. There's nothing better than Jesus, right? So he starts off chapter one by asking them, you know, what are you finding that's better? Then he goes into chapter two and he says this, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. In chapter 2, Paul says, listen, this is concept of justification, right? And I said to you that justification is a legal term, right? Remember, salvation is a legal concept, and I use this analogy of talking about the, the cosmic courtroom, right? The cosmic courtroom is this. God is the judge. The jury is the Holy Spirit. Our accuser, the prosecution, is the enemy. The Bible uses the word accuser for him. And who's our defendant? Jesus. But the problem is the accuser gets up and we're on the witness stand. And he's saying, you did this. You did this. You did this. You did this. And we're like, yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. And everything he's accusing of is accurate and true. And so, of course... The jury has no choice but to find us guilty. And the penalty the judge gives us is death. But in this scenario, our defense, Jesus stands up and saying, I will take their penalty. I will take your penalty. And we get to walk out of that courtroom free while Jesus gets put to death for us. Paul wants, people, Paul wants uh, the church of Galatians to understand, this is what it means to be justified. You're not justified by the law. You can do all the good things you want. And you know what? Our culture is obsessed with doing good things. And it's good. It's fine. But doing good things does not make you a good person. Right? And Paul wants the, the, the churches to understand that. We looked at the concept of justification. And we said that this. Justification is translated from dikaiosos. Uh, this word denotes the act of pronouncing righteous justification, acquittal. Its precise meaning is determined by that of the verb tekeo, to justify, signifying the establishment of a person as just by acquittal from guilt. It is a legal term, right? I don't know if you've ever been in a courtroom, or you know, you may watch Law and Order or whatever legal show you do, right? But when, when the verdict is read and the defendant is sitting there, it's a palpable tension in the room, guilty or innocent, right? Paul says that our salvation, we have been justified by Christ, not by the law. You know why you don't get justified by the law? Because you fall, you fail. And if all you do is concentrate on that, you will never understand a relationship with what God wants for you. We looked at chapter 3. and In chapter 3, Paul helps us to understand the role of the law. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until faith was to come, would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith, 
Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Remember when, when uh, Brian went through this whole with us and kind of helped us to understand the role of the law. Paul says the best here. The law was our guardian. See, here's the problem with the law is that we look at it, we go, I can't live up to it. So we abandon it, we live whichever way we want. And the problem is that's not, what, that's not what we're meant to do. We're meant to make the middle path, the halakha, right? We are meant to, to walk the way God wants us to and not behave whichever we want to. And Paul says the law is our guardian, right? But now remember, faith. Paul keeps talking about the word faith in this entire book, and he somehow seemed to think that faith is a trigger for a deeper relationship with God. Because in the courtroom, Jesus, our defender, says, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the punishment. You have to believe that to be true for you to walk out of there. You're like, oh, I don't believe that to be true. There's no way he would do that for me. Do you know how guilty I am, Jesus? Do you understand what I've done? Do you understand how badly I've fallen, I've failed? You have to have faith to believe that the act that Jesus accomplished was true and was for you. And Paul wants us to understand that as well, too. In chapter 4, we talked about this idea of adoption. But when the, time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit, the witness of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. Remember we talked about this? In a Roman household, right, the father, the man was the head of the household in a patriarchal Roman culture. I know you don't like it, tough. That's how, that's how it was in the first century, okay? And the word that the servant would use for the father was a Latin term, pater. Not Peter, but pater. What it meant was father. But look what Paul says there. He says that when the spirit comes, right, the servant, the slave, changes a relationship and doesn't use pater anywhere but Abba pater, which means familial, right? It's a, it's a relationship of adoption. And remember, we look, we look at this idea of uh, adoption in the Roman culture, and I said to you that in adoption, what happens is somebody would adopt a slave, somebody that had under their, under their care their relationship, and say, you are now going to be my son. And remember this idea of the power of the Father being given to that person? Well, Paul is saying to the churches in Galatia, the Spirit of God is a, bears witness that you are no longer slaves, but you are now sons and daughters of the Most High God. Why do you think the law is going to help you understand that? You are adopted by God. So we, are now long, we, are, we, 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 we have that familial relationship with God. And that was important because that helps us to understand that. That's where we've been, right? That's where we've been. Now, let's take a look at how Paul wants to conclude this because everything that I've just talked to you about, Paul is going to take it and he's going to finish it. So you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 6. There's basically two sections of Galatians chapter 6. Verses uh, 1 to 10 is the first one and uh, the second is 11 uh, onwards there. And we're going to take a look at how Paul wants to conclude his, uh, his teaching to Galatians. Now, One of the things you need to understand about the final chapter in any of Paul's letters is Paul has usually gone on a rant for quite some pages, and so he's kind of wrapping things up. Oh, by the way, do this. Oh, yeah, and and right. So he's saying, say hello to so and so, and do this, and and be good, and like so. He's kind of throwing things in there. So the last chapter in Galatians, uh, Galatians is like that as well. But there are a couple of things that kind of come out of it, right? So what we're looking at, Paul is going to kind of apply the Holy Spirit now to this, right? So in verse two, it says this. 
Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Right? Look at this. The law says you are responsible for your own salvation. The gospel says that you are supported in community if you allow it and accountable to others. Now, what does Paul say there? Carry each other's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Paul now, for five chapters, has been trying to tell us about the law. And he says to us, law no longer applies, right? You have the Holy Spirit. But then he says, fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Paul uses this phrase a couple of times throughout his letters. Sometimes he calls it the law of Christ. Sometimes he calls it the law of love. And what he means by this is that, you know, you may be here at UCC this morning. Maybe you've been here for a couple of months. Maybe you've been here since the very beginning. We're at church plants. Where we've only been in existence for about a year and a half now. So we're still fairly young. But maybe you've been here for quite some time. And this is now your community. According to what Paul says, I'm responsible for you. And not because I'm a pastor. I'm responsible for you because you're my brother and my sister, right? We use that concept of spiritual family here at at, at Uptown Community Church. But you're also responsible for me. And the person next to you, just turn to the person next to you and look at them. Just go ahead. Gaze deeply in their eyes. No, don't do that. That's weird. You're responsible for them. And they're responsible for you. What is Paul saying? Carry each other's burdens. Now, how do you carry somebody's burden? What's happened in the church is what we do is when we come to church, we put on a mask. Everything's fine. It's all good. Life's fine. It's, all, it's, it's fine, right? The way you carry somebody's burdens is if they let you know what their burden is. And they can't tell you what their burden is if they're not vulnerable to you. Sometimes, and like I said, this morning, I am sick. I am unwell. Um, I have to preach to, uh, twice today. I have to preach here at UCC, and I'm taking a team to the Manor Church in Guelph, and I'm teaching there in the afternoon. And so I'm telling you this. Why? Because you're responsible for me. So you should be rubbing my feet. and No, not like that. But, but hopefully, maybe, you'll pray for me. You'll remember, oh, you know what? We should pray for our pastor. Not because he's anything more than that, but because he's trying to lead us as a church. But you should pray for one another as well, too. The reason why we have a prayer director, Joelle uh, Forrest, is because she helps us to pray for the needs. We, we pray on a weekly basis. She sends out uh, a prayer request for us. And your update there, it's prayer at UCC Waterloo. If you have a prayer request, we want to pray for you. We, we do. We want to bear one another's burdens. But we also know that, that in a context like this, all of you staring at the screen or at myself, that's not really how you bear one another's burdens. So how do you do that? In city groups, in a smaller setting, right? In our, our, our youth ministry, young adults, and in our city groups, we meet throughout the week and things that we do, you get to know one another, right? Like in our city group, we, we pray for each other's requests, right? Like this is what we know that's going on in the person's life, and maybe we can bring a meal to you, maybe we can help out, right? That's how you bear one another's burdens. So Paul is saying, carry each other's burdens, and this way you fulfill the law of Christ, right? Because... If you are so concentrating on the law, all you're really worried about is how good you are. But the law of Christ says, how are those around you? And I know in this group here, there are needs. If you're a student here this morning, you have needs. Maybe you haven't eaten a proper meal in quite some time. And maybe, you know, maybe we should be providing that meal for you. Pancake breakfast is a good example, right? But... People who suffer from anxiety, depression, uh, relational issues, right? There are needs here. 
But if you don't tell people your needs in relationship, no one knows. Right? And so Paul says, you want to understand how to, how, how to live your life out? You need to bear one another's burdens. Because look what he says here in verse 3 and 5. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. So here's something that's interesting here. In verse 2, Paul says, carry one another's burdens. Right? But now look what he transitions to. If anyone thinks there's something when they are not. Paul seems to think that self-deception is a real problem. Right? If you come to your spiritual family and you have a mask on and you're smiling, it's all good. That's a problem. Because that's not honest. It's not honest. Right? If you can come and you can say, and someone says to you, how are you doing? And if you can respond to it, you feel vulnerable. I feel like, you know what? I'm not doing that great. In that moment is relationship. In that moment is authentic relationship. Intimacy. Right? Like, Paul's trying to help that. But then he changed that and says this. Don't think you're something you're not. Right? But then, I love this part here. Because this part freaked me out a little bit. Then they can take pride in themselves alone. Paul never wants us to take pride. But then here he says, but then you can take pride in yourselves. And I thought, I really dug into this verse here. I'm like, what does he mean? Because Paul, I thought pride's a bad thing. I thought, why? Because Paul says this. Sometimes we can be overly humble. Sometimes we can be overly like, oh, no, you know, that's God. All right. Paul's saying, listen, if you take care of somebody, if you help somebody, if you're praying for people, if you're active in your faith, that's God. Give him the glory, but understand that's, that's maturity, that's growth. Don't be humble about it in the sense of like, well, it's just, you know, I don't want it, right? That, that's dishonesty as well, too. <sighs> Let me explain it this way. We did this series on spiritual disciplines last year. And you know the phrase that pays, right? Train, don't try, right? Train, don't try. Don't try to be a good person. Don't try, train, right? If you've been praying every day, if you've been enacting these spiritual disciplines in your life, you should, you should feel good about that. Why? Because you're growing in your faith. I want to, my goal is, for my own self, is to look back a year ago, five years ago, and say, you know what? I've seen some growth in me. But then the other side of it is, have you seen any growth in you? Do you love God more? Are you willing to sacrifice more for one another? Like, that's what Paul's saying there. So you can enjoy that, and you can give, the, give God the glory for that, because that's important. Because in verses 6 and 7, um, 7 and 8, sorry, do not be deceived. Be deceived. Now, he's in a shift here. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit reaps eternal life. Do you see what Paul's doing here? The language of the first few verses is give and take. Give and take, right? Now he says this. A man reaps what he sows. If you sow to please your flesh, in other words, if everything you live in your life is for yourself, that's what you will reap. But then look at the second part. Whoever sows to please the spirit, the spirit will reap eternal life. Paul is saying that sometimes when you, not sometimes, most of the times in a Christ-following life is that you are living a life of self-sacrifice. Sometimes you don't feel like, right? Paul's saying, listen, that's reaping in towards the spirit and the spirit will create growth within you. And that's what's supposed to happen. 
In verses 9 and 10, let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. Again, that, that give and take there. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, remember that word therefore is very important for Paul. He's just summing up an argument. And when he says therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those belonging to the family of believers. Paul is focusing on cause and effect. Do you feel close to God? Do you feel like you've grown in God? And the answer could be yes or no. If it's yes, it's because you probably have invested. I am praying, I'm reading my Bible, I'm serving, I'm, I'm trying, I'm pushing myself outside of my comfort zone. And then you can say, yes, you are reaping what you are sowing. Do you feel distant from God? Do you feel like you haven't moved in your faith? Do you feel like you, you're not going anywhere? What are you reaping into? So Paul's trying to help the church to understand something there. What you do has actual effect on your spiritual life. So that's the first half there. Now, take a look at the second half, which is a little bit shorter here, but look what he says here. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul is about to wrap up his letter to the church, and he's saying something very important here. He says, listen, I'm not going to boast. Right? This is Paul the Apostle. This is the guy that when he'd wipe his brow with sweat, people would take that cloth and lay it upon someone who's sick, and they'd be healed. Okay? That's pretty cool, right? Paul says this, I'm not going to boast in anything I've done. The only thing I'm going to boast in is Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all I got. That's, that's everything that I have. Because now look what he says here in verse 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, the problem topic from the very beginning, means anything. What counts is the new creation. Paul wants the church's relation to understand something. Circumcised or uncircumcised, law or not law, it doesn't matter. Are you a new person? Are you a new creation? And this is what we see throughout Paul's letters. This is, I, I could have shown you more examples of this. Every letter that Paul writes somehow, some way comes to this idea that you are a new creation. That you are meant to be renewed. That you are meant to be made different than you were before when you met Jesus. This is an important topic to Paul. You know Why? Because Paul's own testimony is this as well, too. In Acts chapter 20, uh, 26, Paul stands before a Roman uh, ruler and has to give his own testimony. And look what he says about himself. Paul's talking about his encounter with Jesus. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you. Remember, this is Paul recounting this. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is Paul recounting his own testimony to this Roman ruler. He's saying, listen, I met Jesus. This is what he said to me. This is what he was calling me to. This is the new creation that I'm becoming. This is what I'm meant to be. Let me close by diagramming something for you. We've been looking at Galatians, right? Paul starts off Galatians with what you were. Then he says, then you encounter the gospel. And then he talks about what you are becoming. His fear is, you're going to go back. Right? His fear is, what you are becoming is actually going to go back. And some of you know this. 
Some of you know that in your spiritual walk, the danger can be that when you just you move backwards in your faith, not forward. And Paul is fearful for the churches in Galatians. Because what does he want? He wants them to move forward to what you could be. Right? Remember, and he uses the word like this. He talks about the old self. Right? That's what you were. He talks about the gospel, which is what justifies you. He talks about your new becoming, which is the new creation. He talks about the Holy Spirit, right? I love how the fact that Paul starts off with the law but ends in the spirit for Galatians. And he talks about the spiritual family, right? Bear one another's burdens. He's saying what you were is you were living under the law. What the gospel is, it's Jesus. It's just Jesus, right? What you are becoming is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is Galatians right here, Right? Could have showed that us at the beginning. No, you get the idea, right? This is Galatians here. Stop going backwards in your spiritual walk. Stop going back to the things that you think are going to make you happy, are going to fulfill you. Impulses. Move forward. Move forward in the Spirit. Stop going. Stop looking over your shoulder. Right. Stop looking behind you. It says, look forward. That's what Paul wants for his churches. That's what Paul wants for himself. That's what I want for myself. That's what I want for each of you. I want you to have the aha moment of what God can do in your life. If you think you've arrived, if you think you are, you are fulfilled in whatever, I'm, like, I'm saying to you right now, you have not gotten to the end of what God's plan is for you. You have not. And I know that some of you have made some decisions and your life has gone down some paths. I get that. But Paul wants the churches in Galatia to understand. He wants you to understand. You have not yet arrived in what God wants for you. It's always ahead. It's always that push forward in the spirit. Second Corinthians. Therefore, since we have such a hope, such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses. Remember the law? Moses? Who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was to passing away. But their minds were made dull for the... They're being stupid. Um, for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. What are you saying about Moses being read? The law. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, complete the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with the ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. That's it. Kids are coming in because we have communion, so it's okay. Eyes up here. What do we want for you at UCC? We want each of you to grow up. Stop playing games and get serious with God. That's what we want. But it's not what we want, but it's what we see in the scriptures. It's what we see in the Bible. It's what we see God calling us to. Your past is part of who you are. Like it or not, it is. Lecrae's testimony. He talks about all the stuff he did in his past, but then he starts saying, listen, I'm looking to the future. That's what Galatians is. Is released from the past and the promise of the future. Let's pray. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm ask the worship team to come back up and the ushers to prepare themselves for communion. 
As we wrap up Galatians this morning, Paul wants the church to know that yes, you can make mistakes. Yes, you have made mistakes. But the mistakes aren't what define you. What defines you is what God's calling you to. And his prayer for us and our prayer for you is that your past does not hold you back, that the law doesn't hold you back, but instead you embrace what God is calling you to. And what we talk about at UCC here a lot, what we want you to remember is that we believe that the Holy Spirit, that's his job, that's what he wants to do in you. You cannot, in your own strength, become righteous before God. But instead, God's righteousness is applied to you because of what Jesus did on the cross. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for each person here. Lord, I pray blessings upon them, but I pray even more so, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to them this morning. That every heart and every mind would turn to you. And God, for some people here, that means they have to turn to you and have to look into their lives and say, God, I'm not following you. I'm actually kind of playing games with you. I pray, Lord, for them this morning that they would finally make that decision to follow you fully and truly. I pray, God, that UCC would be a place where we bear one another's burdens. However that looks and whatever that means, Lord, I pray, God, that that would be something that we strive for. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the book of Galatians, for what it's taught in us. But I pray, Lord, that we would apply that into our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.